0: Here's a little story I came across recently. Once upon a time, all good stories begin with once upon a time, a young girl went into a gift shop and began to speak to a ceramic vase. You are so beautiful, and I want to buy you. The vase replied, ah, but you know, I wasn't always so beautiful. Instead of being surprised that a vase was having a conversation with her, the little girl simply asked the vase what it meant. The vase explained, Well, originally, I was just a soggy, ugly lump of clay. Then one day, some people came along, and they put me on a very large wheel. And they started to turn it, round and round and round, until I became incredibly dizzy. Then they started to poke me and prod me all over. And that hurt a lot. I cried out, stop. But they said, not yet. Well, at long last, they finally turned the wheel off. But things immediately went from bad to worse because at that point, they put me into a big, dark furnace. And it was really hot in there. And it became hotter and hotter and hotter until I couldn't stand it anymore. Once again, I cried out, stop. And once again, they said, not yet. Then they took me out of the really hot furnace and someone started to put paint all over me. And the fumes from the paint made me ill. They made my head spin and my stomach turn and I cried out, stop. But again, they said, not yet. When they finally had finished painting me, they put me back into the furnace, and believe it or not, it was even hotter in there the second time around. Once more I cried out, stop, and once more they said, not yet. Finally they took me out of the furnace for good, and after I had cooled down, they placed me on a table in front of a mirror. I remembered myself as a soggy, ugly lump of clay. But when I looked at my image in that mirror, I was amazed. I lost my breath, and I thought, I really am beautiful. I then realized it was the pain I had gone through that made me this way. Over the centuries, my brothers and sisters, God did great things for his chosen people, the Israelites. First of all, he called them. Then he formed them, he guided them, he multiplied them, he delivered them over and over again from their enemies when their enemies attacked them. He guided them into the promised land. And yet his people constantly, and I mean constantly, fell into idolatry and sin. God prospered them in so many different ways. But their prosperity did not lead them to greater faithfulness. Quite oppositely, it seems that the more they had, the more they sinned. The more the blessings were, the greater their infidelities were. The only thing, the only thing, that really changed them for the better, ironically, was their suffering. When they suffered like that fictitious vase suffered in the story I just read to you, when they experienced the negative consequences of their sins to the point of crying out in agony to God, like that vase cried out in agony, only then, only then, did they finally wake up as a nation and change direction. Do you see any parallels to what we're experiencing in our nation? at the present time. I certainly do, but that will be the topic for another homily. Today I'll focus on all of this relative to our personal lives. In our first reading this morning, we heard about the situation in the kingdom of Judah at the very beginning of the 6th century BC, which is pretty much the way things were at most points of the history of the Hebrew people. The sacred writer said all the princes, the priests, and the people added infidelity to infidelity, practicing all the abominations of the nations and polluting the Lord's temple which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Then he tells us about the consequences, the negative consequences, which led to 70 years of exile, suffering in Babylon, the last place on earth the Israelites wanted to be, believe me. It says, their enemies burnt the house of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, set all the palaces afire, and destroyed all its precious objects. Those who escaped the sword were carried captive to Babylon, where they became the servants of the king of the Chaldeans and his sons, until the kingdom of the Persians came to power. And then we have these words from Psalm 137, today's responsorial psalm, which I think convey in a powerful way the inner agony of of those exiles in Babylon for all those decades. By the streams of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. How could we sing a song of the Lord in a foreign land? May my tongue cleave to my palate if I remember you not, if I place not Jerusalem ahead of my joy. Like these Israelites of ancient times, all of us, and I mean all of us, bring some sufferings upon ourselves through our own personal sins. That's a fact, whether we choose to admit it or not. When we have problems or disputes in our families, for example, and believe me, all of us do, those problems and disputes are almost always rooted in sin, somebody's sin. The sin of one family member, the sin of a whole bunch of family members, perhaps. Of course, the good news is, repentance very often alleviates at least some of those sufferings. And yet there are other ones, other sufferings that come to us, whether we sin or not. Nobody, not even the greatest saint, is immune from trial. In fact, many of the great saints in the history of the Church experienced some of the most intense, extraordinary sufferings imaginable. Think of somebody like St. Pio, St. Padre Pio, who had the stigmata, the wounds of Jesus Christ, on his hands, on his own body, for many, many years. I am told they hurt a lot. Think of Blessed John Paul II, Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Think of all they went through. Think of the martyrs of the early Christian Church. Now, because suffering is so prevalent in our lives, because it's such a powerful force in our lives, it does change us. In one way or another, it changes us. Like it changed the Israelites in ancient times. Like it changed that soggy, ugly lump of clay I told you about a few moments ago. Although there is one very big and crucial difference between that lump of clay and all of us. That clay changed into something beautiful after all of its suffering. But it didn't have a choice in that. We do. We don't choose to suffer, but we can and we do choose how we respond to our suffering. We can allow it by the grace of God to make us holier, to make us better people, something beautiful for God, as Mother Teresa would say, or we can allow it to make us angry and bitter. Better or bitter, that's the choice we face and we face it every day because we have sufferings to deal with every day. All of this came to mind after some of our teenagers from Westerly High and Prout told me about the recent visits of Larry Scott to their respective schools. I'm sure many of you read about these events in either the Westerly Sun or the Rhode Island Catholic or perhaps both papers. So who is Larry Scott? Well, Larry Scott was the uncle of Rachel Joy Scott, who was the very first of the 13 people killed out at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, in 1999. Larry was her uncle. And he came to this area to tell to those students the story of Columbine and how the terrible events of that day devastated his family. And you know, it was really important for him to do that because, believe it or not, most current high school students are too young to remember those events when they actually happened. But Larry Scott also came here for another purpose, which was just as important. He wanted to promote something called Rachel's Challenge. Rachel's Challenge is a program, a nationwide program, in which teenagers pledge themselves to do good deeds and also to work against bullying and violence in their schools and communities. The program was started by Rachel Scott's father, Darrell, who's Larry's brother. Apparently, after Rachel was murdered, they found six diaries in her high school backpack. And in those diaries, this young girl had recorded many of her efforts to show kindness to other people, many of her efforts to help her fellow students who were being bullied or ostracized by their peers. Now it's interesting, the teens at Proud, which is of course a Catholic school, Those young people were told one very important detail that the young people at Westerly did not hear. They were not allowed to hear it. Rachel's primary motivation for doing all this good stuff, all these good loving deeds, was her very strong Christian faith. See, Larry Scott is not allowed to mention that in public school settings. We wouldn't want our teenagers in public schools to know the whole truth, would we? How sad. Now, the reason I mention this today in the context of this homily is because of the extraordinary example that Larry Scott and the other members of his family are giving to others. You see, they have made the choice, the very difficult choice, to respond to a terrible tragedy, a terrible suffering in their lives, by doing something positive for other people. Think about it. It has to be incredibly difficult for this man and the other members of his family to go around the country every year as they do and speak to thousands and thousands of teenagers about these events. In a sense, they have to relive the horror of Columbine over and over again as they speak about it. That's got to be extremely difficult and yet they do it. They are becoming beautiful vases for God, to use the image of this homily. What a contrast, what a stark contrast, to the two young men who committed those murders all those years ago at Columbine, Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold. Lest we forget, those young men also suffered. If you know the story, those two young men were bullied in their school quite a bit. But they made a choice, a different choice. They chose to respond to their suffering with bitterness and hatred and anger and bullying. They became bullies themselves. And eventually they chose to respond with vengeance. And that left 13 people dead and 13 families devastated. Will the story of that beautiful vase that I told at the beginning of this homily be the story of my life? As it's the story of Larry Scott's life at the present time. That's the question to ask yourself today. That's the question to take with you this morning. Will the story of that beautiful vase be the story of my own personal life? It will be for all of us, for each of us, but only, only if we choose it to be. And we have to make that choice just like Larry Scott and the members of his family are making it. We've got to make it every single day because we suffer every single day in one way or another.